Mac Power Users, Episode 162, Using Mavericks. Welcome back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie Floyd. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Been a been a busy couple of weeks from Apple. Yeah, it has. Are you getting a new iPad? Let's not talk about that. Oh, come on. Just tell us. I am. I am We're getting We're dying a, to know. I am getting one sometime later in November. Mini or Maxi? Mini. Yeah, cuz the the regulars are were pre-ordered. You can, I mean not pre-order, but you could pick them up. I mean there's no supply shortage on the airs, but the Mini is just later in November. What yeah, does that mean? It's in, it's interesting to me that the the worst things about both iPads they've kind of corrected as a result the products are much closer now like the the worst thing about the mini to me was the retina screen and they've added added the retina screen the worst thing about the bigger one was the weight and they've reduced the weight so now it's going to be a, a very interesting choice for people do they want the big screen or the little screen yeah i am um, i've decided i've just i've just pined for that mini for so long that i would always be wondering if i didn't get the mini yeah, I'm so, definitely going to get a mini. I don't know. I might at some point yeah, yeah, replace the other one too. The other one is is a year and a half old now, and and I really like that A7 chip, but and it's just so heavy. Well, it's not that so much as as the um, the chip. I'll tell you, like OmniFocus. I mean, this is like a silly thing for me, but on the A7 with my phone, have you noticed how fast OmniFocus like updates? your database no because i don't have an a7 phone thank you for rubbing that in you didn't get one i thought you got a new phone no no we talked about how it was going to cost me oh, like that's oh that's nine hundred dollars right. yeah well if you but only i will knew i will let, I will let you know once i get my money yeah, you'll see it's it's just little things like that boy that really adds up but yeah i'm like you yeah, i'm definitely getting a mini i'm probably gonna wait maybe christmas i'll ask for a, a bigger one if i'm really sold but i haven't even picked one up yet i, I think i need to hold one to see how how much different it is, but I definitely want a mini and I'm definitely getting the 3G antenna. I didn't get the 3G antenna with the last one. And that, that has hurt me many times. So I'm going to throw out a, a question and hopefully that uh, tweet me. Cause that's probably the easiest way to do that. But I am looking for the most minimalist case I can get for the mini that still offers all around protection. Right now I've got a Marware CEO case for the um, regular size iPad. And I love the case. I love the design of the case. It's very protective and it got that thing where you can hold it with your hand and it looks very professional, but it just, it adds even more bulk to already, you know, the, the big iPad. So I think if I'm going to go mini, I, I want to, I want a very sleek, small case with the idea being that I can just throw this thing in my purse and take it everywhere. So tweet me your case ideas with at Katie Floyd with, um, with links for, uh, cases that are protective, functional, but minimal. See, I'm not that as concerned about the back getting scratched up. I've been using mine with a um, smart cover case for a year, and it's it doesn't really show much wear. But I'm careful about it. Yeah, but mine's going to be thrown in my purse with my yeah, keys yeah. and my my I metal credit card holder, and yeah, yeah. You hold your credit cards in something metal. I'm sorry, my be- metal business card holder. Yes. Okay. I hold my business card in something metal. It, is it made of um, dilithium? It is. Are you impressed with that? That I knew that. Except dilithium is a crystal, not a not a metal alloy. Oh, damn it! Yes. Got me again. No. Curse you. Hey, let's talk about Mavericks. 
All right, let's talk about Mavericks. So wh- wh- what the heck is Mavericks? I, I live over here in, in Florida in the East Coast, and I, I don't know. I, I think of Mavericks as uh, Mel Gibson in a movie. Yeah, it, it's a weird because it's a place with a plural name, <laughs> and uh, it's a beach that's apparently got really good surf. I've, I've grown up in California. I don't think I've ever been to Mavericks. but Tom Cruise, uh, Tom Cruise. Mm, that was the better Maverick. Never okay. mind. Sorry. You're making me uncomfortable I now. I really like Top Gun. Okay. Um, so anyway, Mavericks is, it's interesting because it's a, it's Mavericks is not a cat. And, uh, for a very long time, the Mac OS 10 names have always been after cats with, you know, them going through various iterations. And, and I thought it was very interesting the way Federighi introduced Mavericks to say, you know, we're going to, I think he said something like California places of interest or places we love in California. And, you know, it's a names, uh, worthy of, Mac operating systems for the next 10 years. Uh, and that was at WWDC when he announced it. And I've always felt like statements like that in an Apple keynote are not off the cuff that somebody thinks about stuff like that before they say it. Um, as an aside, have you noticed how they keep talking about the a seven being a desktop class chip? Yeah, that makes me a little nervous, but I've noticed. Yeah. But you know, it's again, it's something that I think is very deliberate. So, so I thought it was great because for a while now, everybody keeps complaining that Apple's abandoning the Mac and and you know the Mac's going away and it's the ugly stepsister to iOS and it's not going to get any love and attention. Well, now they've come out with a new operating system. They've started a new name, uh, you know, a new set of names, and the guy responsible for it has said they want to use these for the next ten years. And then Apple has released this Mac Pro, which is the most ridiculously amazing looking computer I've ever seen. You're getting one of those, aren't you? Oh, hell no. <laughs> I, <couldn't. laughs> I mean, what would John, I do? Johnny with that? Ives got a, a red one that's going to be up for sale soon. No, I, I am perfectly happy with my laptop. Um, but I, if I was making the next avatar or if I was doing, you know, really serious production work, I could see it, you know, working out. Fortunately for me, Katie, my movies that I make are usually between 30 seconds and like two minutes long. So even my little rickety laptop can do just fine for that. Man, but if you I was can making make, something you can make that, those on your iPhone with its desktop class architecture. Exactly. So, so I, I am definitely not the target market. And at $3,000, I'm most certainly not the target market without a monitor. But I think there's a lot of people that like it. But my point is that Apple is is making more Mac products, and clearly they're not going anywhere. I I've never really taken the whole threat that um, the Mac is going away and they're going to merge the operating systems real seriously. I I mean I think eventually that may happen, but I think it's it's a long time away. Yeah. All right. So let's 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 actually talk about. Mavericks and, and some of the things that are new. And, you know, there were a couple of things I noticed right off the bat. I mean, I, you've been playing with the beta for, for quite some time. I yeah. downloaded it fresh when it was, when it was available last week. And immediately the thing that I noticed was the new default font in the OS. And I appreciate that. It just, it's, it's a subtle change, but it's a nice change that, that gives everything kind of a nice clean interface appearance. Yeah. Yeah. A yeah. couple of things I didn't like is the dock is now smoky. That bothers you? It does bother me. Now, do you run your Mac with the dock always present? Oh, of course not. I run my Mac properly with the dock hidden and on the left side. Yeah. Which makes a lot of sense because the screen's very wide and space on the corner on the sides is much cheaper than space on the bottom. I also run my Mac with no icons in the dock other than those apps that are running. I was kind of judgmental the way you said that. 
Just judging, not judging. Yeah. Yeah, we I think we've had this conversation before. You're you're obsessive compulsive about not keeping anything in your dock that's not actually running. Correct. It's kind of endearing, Katie. <laughs> um all right, so that really didn't bother me much. <laughs> and um I didn't particularly notice it because I don't usually have the dock out. It wasn't actually until the the reviews came out for Mavericks that I said, "Oh, hmm, I guess it is a little different." So that didn't bother me at all. One thing I sure I sure liked about the new interface is um, the linen never really impressed me much, and um, the linen is completely gone from the operating system. Would it freak you out if I told you I missed the linen so much I set it as my desktop background? Did you really? <laughs> no. I mean, I could almost see you doing that, you know. What color is it? The dark one. I used the dark one. The dark one. Um, you know, the, the interface hasn't changed that much. One of the thing I, I, one of the things I don't like is the introduction of transparency to some of the windows. I, I, I can't figure out whether that's something that I just hate or if that's something that I'm just going to get used to. Um. I don't think I'm ever going to entirely get used to it. I mean, I just like I just noticed the other day I was taking a screenshot. The next field guide, by the way, is so close to being done. And I'm going to be so happy when it's done because I think it's coming out great. But I've got screenshots in there that are showing up with like transparency with data behind them, you know, (laughs) because I just keep forgetting that this stuff is happening. Uh, So I I don't understand why that would even happen. But so if you if if you haven't installed Mavericks yet, there are certain times in the interface where you'll get this bit of transparency. Like one of the ones that, that kind of bugs me a little bit is the finder uh, when you're in a list view. Mm-hmm. Um, That's really the act- only time I see it. You actually see the the stuff going up underneath the little like status bar across the top. Ugh. Um, that's okay. There's kind of an obsession at Apple now with transparency, right? Um, well, it's, it's just the idea of layering. It's, it's showing you that your documents are behind the window. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, do you notice there's another new feature to the interface called responsive scrolling? Um, have Scrolls you like butter? Yeah. Didn't you notice that immediately? Yeah. Although I don't, I don't tend to have a really long, I guess I do have some really long file lists, but yeah, I see it. Well, I, I was using you it. see it on, on web pages and things like that. And, and the other thing about that is, you know, it, it, it kind of, predi- I think it's, it does it by predicting where you're likely to go and, and drawing little aspects of the screen in advance, so it's it's much smoother transition. Yeah, let me let me explain that further. So, if you've got a web page open up, like katiefloyd.me, and Katie's got a long article, maybe she's created a tutorial. I'm ranting. Okay, maybe she was ranting, but she's got a long article. Let's pretend that your screen is twelve is twelve inches, but the actual length of the article, if you were to put it virtually on the computer, would be thirty six inches. You okay. know where. And it would stretch above and below the screen. Well, the way your computer has always done that in the past was when you scrolled, it would draw those portions of the screen that weren't on the screen as it needed them. Well, with this predictive scrolling or this responsive scrolling, it's drawing, I don't know, maybe five or six inches either direction off the screen and storing that in memory. So when you hit the scroll bar, it immediately has that access to that information. You scroll, it's just there. And at the more you scroll, the more it will draw. And it predicts based on how fast you're scrolling. Obviously, depending on the speed of your processor, you may scroll faster than it can keep up with you. But so long as you don't go crazy, it works really great. Now, they had said this 
and I knew about it and I was using increasing builds of the beta and I, I noticed it was better, but I didn't realize how much better it was until I went to do something on my wife's computer. And I, I immediately noticed how slow the scroll felt to me. I mean, this is a, a really nice feature. Now, something I intentionally left out of our outline that I noticed that you added into the outline. Yes, were, my special yeah, characters. Your emojis. Well, see, I don't see it as emojis. But, okay, so there's a new key command in, in Mavericks. If you hold Control, Command, and Space down, uh, it's going to open the special characters menu. And if you like emojis, that's the place to go. And everybody's been making fun of this feature. It's like, oh, I can put, you know, you know, little pictures of poop in my in my documents now, you know, that that's not, and according to my daughter, it's yogurt, but it looks to me like poop. Chocolate yogurt. Is that what it is? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. But anyway, um, the reason I like it is I use things like section symbols and, you know, there's occasionally I have need for other characters and I've got text expander snippets set up for a bunch of them, but then I run into ones I, I don't have in there yet. And I've always had to keep in my menu bar that little um, character panel that you click on and then it gives you all those and you can insert whichever one you want. Now you hit, you know, control command space and it just pops up and I can get whatever character I want. In fact, I've got a list of favorites in there. So it, it pops up very quickly. And I'm not you, using you've it got the emoji. chocolate yogurt in there, right? No, it's not sadly, but I guess I should put it in there, you know, for our future show planning. There you go. I'll just put it next to items in the outline. I don't agree with <laughs> perfect <laughs> but you know so i think it's useful and uh it's fun to make i guess everybody's making fun of it but it's it's pretty simple control command space and then you've got access to that whole library of extra characters that are are usually pretty cryptic and hard to find on your keyboard yeah i i've i've always just like you said set up text expander snippets for them so i i'm, I'm wondering if um our uh, listeners, Rob Cordry and David Wayne, are going to use it when they're writing children's hospital scripts, you know, if they're going to find a use for that stuff. Oh, my goodness. Did you ever hear um, the, um, I think where it was at WWDC, I think they did a, they had a, a thing at a bar, and I think it was on John Gruber's podcast, or somebody oh, had it Oh, it was on you, their- look, you Look Nice Today, live kind of thing. Yeah, it was, yeah. A, yeah. Yeah, and they did a whole play all on emoji. Did that, you hear that? that that was the one where they also did the Google van and the Apple van thing. I don't remember, remember now, that. but it was very funny. All right, I we digress. That, yeah, I think we do. So that was a lot of time we spent on something you didn't even want in the outline. Yes. Talking. Okay. Let's let's talk about Safari a little bit because there've been some there's been some big changes in Safari. Now, are you running Safari as your default web browser? Yeah. I've always used Safari as my default browser. We did a a web browser show, and it may be time for us to go back to that subject. I think it's been a couple of years. And at the time, the big question was, do you go to Chrome or Safari? And ultimately, I chose Safari because I felt like um, it's better integrated with the operating system. But I've been really tempted to leave Safari uh, over the last year or so. Yeah. Because it hasn't been as stable for me. And um, there's some underlying technologies that are involved here as well. The, uh, you know, I think it was a year or two ago that Google said with Chrome, they're going to do that um, independent. Each tab is going to run as it's like own independent sandbox. So if right. one tab goes bad, it would just 
destroy that tab, wipe that tab out, and then everything else would keep running. And then Apple said, well, we're going to do something like that too. But I found instability and slowness in Safari over the last year or so. And yeah. um, are I, you having the, I'm sorry. No, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was saying, you know, back when we did that web browser show, that was one of the reasons that I was using Chrome as yeah. my main browser. But the thing that moves me back to Safari was really using the iPad and iOS so much more is, you know, tabs would sync and, and iCloud tab, you know, iCloud sync and bookmarks would sync. And it's just, it's just so convenient to use Safari. Oh yeah. It's great. And, um, and even, you know, silly things like reading list, even though I have a read it later service, that's more powerful. There is a, a, a spot in my heart for reading list too. In fact, this show outline for me is on reading list. Cause we're trying this new, I work, in the cloud thing together, but so it, so you kind of cre- ch- um, use reading list as a short term bookmark. Yes, that makes sense. So anyway, the um, so Safari for Maverick showed up, and immediately, even in the early builds, it was really much better, much stronger, faster. I didn't have the same types of crashes, and I, I'm hooked again. I, I really like the new Safari. Yeah, and Safari did implement that you know crash resistance in terms of. Processes, you now have got a, a process per tab. So if you have one tab crash, it doesn't bring everything down. They've also really enhanced the way that they handle plugins. Um, all of your plugins, including QuickTime, Flash, Silverlight, Java, wh- whatever you're running in these various websites, um, are sandbox now because we, you know, we, that would tend to be the source of a lot of problems with the plugins. Now, there is an option to run them in unsandboxed mode if. If it doesn't, you know, if there's some kind of incompatibility and you need to not run them sandboxed, but by default, they're, they're all, they're all sandboxed. And one of the things I like is you also have better ability to manage plugins per site. So I typically don't like to run Java, but I do because, for example, our local clerk of the courts website, that's, you're required to do that to, to pull up images of documents. That's what they use. So I've, you know, you can whitelist that domain and it will run Java on those particular domains but if I go somewhere else, it won't. Yeah. And, you know, so you've got per site running. Like if you want to run Flash, you could say only run Flash on these two websites and then don't run it on any other website. And that's not, it's not just a, a binary yes or no. There's, there's varying degrees of control that you can give for each website with these uh, plugins. Um, and then Safari also tries to save power. I mean, we'll talk about more about the power saving features in, in Mavericks, but one of the ways that it does that is it tries to detect what is the main item on a page. So, for example, if you go to a page and you're watching a video and it's a Flash-based video, Safari will be able to detect that the Flash in the video that's the main content is different from the Flash in the ad in the, si- in the sidebar. So it will kind of do a, a click to Flash, one of our favorite plugins, type action. So where the Flash in the sidebar, if you're not using it or not hovered over it, and it, it's not the main focus of your site, will actually pause so it doesn't take up power but yet the the main content will play if that's what you want it to do. Katie, are you running Flash on your Macs these days? Not on my main Mac, no. I'm running Mac on my, uh, I'm, excuse me, I'm running Flash on my Mac Mini because I use that as a media center. And a lot of lot of video sites require Flash. And I'm running Flash on my Mac at work, but I'm not on my, not on my MacBook Air. I think, I can't remember if it was Lion or Mountain Lion where they didn't install Flash by default. 
And uh, when that released, I just said, okay, I'll try and run without it. And it's been a couple of years and I really don't miss it. Yeah, and I found that most sites have converted their video over to HTML5 and to other yeah. standards. Um, big exceptions, though, I think CNN and CNET. But ironically, those sites work just fine on an iPad. So I don't know if they're just not falling back properly or what's going on. I am. I do put a Chrome on my bra- on my computer, so I cheat. Once right. in a while, if I run into something that really needs Flash, I just load it up in Chrome. That's what I do. Yeah. So while we're on the Safari topic, um, let's talk about something that might be a little controversial uh, for us, at least, and that's iCloud Keychain. Yeah. Why not? I mean, I've I've gotten a lot of flack from people about, oh, you you're you're never going to like iCloud like cloud keychain. That's all I need. You're you're just big, you know, one one password people, and you're you're not even going to give it a chance. And no. I don't think that's fair. No, it's not true. I, I'm using it for some some things. Yeah, and and I've said right off the bat, I love the idea of iCloud keychain much as I loved the idea of Time Machine. Because Time Machine was the first time that it really brought back up to the masses that it, people, Apple said, hey, this is really important and you need to be doing it and we're going to make it super easy for you. And while I'm not sure that iCloud Keychain is there yet, I think it's a start and I think they're heading in the right direction. But so basically iCloud Keychain, for those of you who haven't played with it, is where uh, Safari will autofill your username and passwords and then also suggest secure passwords for websites for you. Now, to me, the biggest security issue with this is that um, if your Mac is running unlocked, that that keychain is unlocked by default and anyone can sit down and Safari and log in as you. Now, I guess you could say the same thing about 1Password if your 1Password keychain was unlocked, but you know they've got very specific controls on there where it automatically locks after so long. You know, your iCloud keychain is going to stay unlocked as long as your Mac is unlocked and running, so it's really important that you set up an automatic screen lock with a, with a low-level timeout so that if you step away from your computer for a few minutes, your screen's going to lock. Yeah, and... Uh, the the iCloud keychain works on iOS devices, and it's the same thing. So, like I like my banking password, I would never use an iCloud keychain for it because if I'm at you know some place and the person says, "Can I borrow your phone to make a call?" and it's somebody who I think I can trust, and I give it to them, they can go log into my banking website, you know. Whereas using one password, they'd have to type in a separate password. But, you know, to your original point, first of all, I haven't received any of those emails from people saying that you're biased. I mean, I, I, I think even one password people would agree that the more Apple supports secure passwords in the operating system, the better it is for everybody. Um, and I think it is, it does have some use cases and I'm curious to see kind of how it develops because it's brand new now. So we'll see what happens with it. I mean, another thing about Apple features is, that they they come out with a new feature, but they don't dive real deep in things. They go kind of at a very you know, I would I don't want to say shallow, but they they go kind of like it's a V one. Well, no, I'm just saying in general, Apple features like this, they don't have the kind of detail and obsession that you see with One Password, where it's got all the other features that One Password has. And I doubt Apple ever will add those because they're looking at finding just the most basic level. Uh, of password security and making it available to everyone. They're not looking at kind of the power features of managing passwords. So they're really two different products. 
Yeah. Now, I, you you talked about using iCloud Keychain in conjunction with a service like One Password, which is actually what I do. And I do want to plug Sean Blanc uh, has his members only podcast. Uh, I think it's called Sean Today. In fact, I'm I'm sure it's called Sean Today. And he recently made an episode of that free and available to everybody because it touched on this this very issue. And it talks about the thing that, yeah, even if you are using a password manager like 1Password or something like that, there is probably a time and a place to use iCloud Keychain and save certain passwords in iCloud Keychain for ease of convenience, but, you know, be aware of, of the security issues and things like that. And I'll tell you one that I do this with all the time. This is going to sound so lazy, but my grocery store has online ordering at the deli. Yeah. So every, every, every week I go in and I order my half pound of, of, uh, you know, black forest ham and my half pound of cheddar cheese and, um, you know, whatever I'm, I'm ordering, I've got a couple of preset favorites and schedule it for pickup at 1130 when I'm coming back from the gym and boom, it's all ready. But every week I have to log in to, to the website and, and, you know, use this, this randomly generated super secure password that I've got to go and, and figure out. And, you know, honestly, David, if, if you asked to borrow my phone at, at Macworld, I understand now that you're probably going to order a bunch of deli meat for me. I'm, I'm going to order so much canned meat. You're just not going to believe it. it. It can't be canned meat. It's, it's only the deli that does online ordering. So you can like order I'll like five, some, five pounds of salami or something. Yeah. Some Gouda, get you some Gouda. You said black forest. You go for you go for the serious stuff. I like the black forest ham. And you get I off that plane. You just have your have your car empty when you get back. <laughs> yeah, that's all I'm saying. Black forest ham and uh, Vermont yellow cheddar. For those who are asking, both by Boar's Head, excellent. Cheddar is kind of boring. Yeah, spice it up a bit, Katie. Well, there's a time and a place. Okay, um, so. You know, let's take a let's take a minute to talk about our sponsors. <laughs> you need a break after that. Yeah, kind of done talking about your lunch meat. <laughs> okay, be perfectly honest. <laughs> Sorry about that. There, there's a new app out. Um, well, there's an update to an app that we all know and love, and the Omni Group has OmniGraffle, which I've talked about in prior podcasts, and I've written about. Um, OmniGraffle is the diagramming application that Omni Group makes, and so much more. It's a really fantastic application that I use every day in my in my day job and frankly the night job for Max Sparky too. So let's say you've got a diagram you want to build or an image you want to annotate. Uh, this application is for you. It's got some really powerful tools to to diagram and create images. I mean people use this stuff to make like wireframes for applications. They can also use it to make you know, like draft images. They they use it to make um Graphic images like landscape architects use it. I use it to outline relationships when I do lawsuits because people get in these lawsuits and you've got various documents and people and all these different relationships. And for me, because I'm such a visual person, I really need to see it as a as a diagram. And the reason I originally bought OmniGraphle is because I started playing with the trial and I was able to make these diagrams while I was talking to people. Like, for instance, if you want a hierarchical table, you can type it out in outline mode. I mean, they're they're using some of their own technologies from OmniOutliner, and it immediately draws itself a graphic representation of that. And they've got versions for the iPad and the Mac, so it all talks to each other. Well, this new version for the Mac, OmniGraphle 6, is really something to behold. So if you haven't played with it before, you want to check this out. They they made 
a lot of changes. The first thing is the new inspector design. It's a single sidebar along the right side of the screen, uh, not unlike the new iWork applications. Although I'll have you note that OmniGraph will release this before Apple released those new iWork applications. So maybe they definitely knew where the puck was headed there. Um, but it, it integrates the inspectors. So you don't have this floating window all over the place. You've got it in one place where it's very easy to find. In fact, if I had one complaint about OmniGraffle before, it was I wasn't always sure where the various inspectors were. Have you ever had that with these floating inspector windows where you're not sure where to look? They can get lost, especially if you have multiple I'm having the same problem right now with iBooks Author. I wish they would would do the same thing in that application, too. Uh, But So OmniGraffle already has it. And the, it, it works better, and it's improved tools um, like the um, the resource browser. You know, one of the great things about OmniGraffle is that you can have resources. It's got stock images that you can pull in and click and drag and resize. And there's all these great stencils that people have made, and there's an online stencil repository that's built right into the application. I was making a diagram, and I wanted some some stick figures. But I, I didn't want, you know, the really basic stick figures. I wanted something that looked kind of nice of people that I could put into a keynote presentation. And I went in and searched in their online group of stencils, and somebody had made this really high-quality set of stencils. I pushed a button, it automatically imported it to OmniGraffle 6, and then I just had it available to me in my inspector. So... This is really useful if you're sitting there making diagrams. Uh, everything is can snap to grid. You can manually set the guides. And if you get your canvas just right, and I, I, I'm probably getting too far inside baseball for this, but you know when you have a canvas, you have a grid that you want to snap to. Once you get it just right, you can export that to another canvas. So if you want to make copies or similar builds, you can do it very easily. It's, uh, it's really something else. I, I know that the Omni Group, People have been working very hard on this update for, frankly, a long time, and I'd never seen any of the betas. That you know, I I just kept you know they asked me about it, and I said I just want to work because I use your app so much. I don't want anything that's not you know ready to go. When this came out, I immediately jumped on it, and I I can't imagine going back to the prior version because this is such an improvement. So if you find yourself building diagrams or needing these types of graphic tools you should go check it out. They've got a, a free trial download at the website. If you want to buy it, it's $100 for the standard version and $200 for the pro version. And what is the pro version gets you? Uh, there's some some additional tools available. It's got um, high-res imaging. It's got, you know, it, it, it's got, several, like, you can use multiple layers in the professionalism professional version. So just go check it out, and you can kind of make your own decision about which version you need. But I just use this application so much. In some ways, it replaced um, the traditional graphic images like Photoshop for me because I'm so used to the tools and I like the way they snap uh, in terms of alignment that I use it for that kind of stuff, too. Uh, Anyway, I don't want to wax on and on about this, but OmniGraffle 6 is a really nice update made by some really great people. Go check it out at theomnigroup.com, and if you do end up buying it, let them know that you heard about it from the Mac Power users. All right, let's talk about some of the cool stuff that's in the Finder. The Finder has tabs. The Finder has tabs. I was going to talk about notifications, but we can go ahead and talk about Finders and tabs. I like tabs. Yeah, me too. I keep forgetting that they're there. No, I don't have that problem. The other thing I like about the Finder now is you can use it in the full screen mode. Yes, you can. 
It's really great on your laptop. You can just fill a screen and put all your tab finder tabs right there. And then I use it in conjunction with Daisy. What's the Daisy disk app? Uh, it's it's in, unclutter. Uh, it's a, unclutter. It's yeah. loaded on my Mac at all times. So I'll I'll have the Finder in one window with multiple tabs, and then I'll drag resources up into the clipboard on unclutter, and then I'll go to you know iBooks author or Keynote or wherever I'm working, and then I can just selectively pull down whatever assets I need from there. Mm, that's very cool. It, do be careful though; it moves things out into unclutter. So you want to copy them if it's something you're going to reuse. So I am, um, you just use tabs to kind of go back and forth and, and, and in place. So you really only have one finder window open at any given time. Now is the idea. Yeah, exactly. That's so hard to get used to because I've always had multiple finder windows open, but I love the idea. I love the idea. I'm so excited about finder tabs. Well, it, it always made me crazy because you've got overlapping finder windows and then you have to, you know, excuse the pun, find it. So you, you've, you've dragged a file and you're not sure where the target for that file is. It may be just under the window you're currently in. So then you drop it on the desktop and then you go find the other window and you copy it there. But if it's on another disk drive, I mean, it depends where the location is. It either may move it to the new location or copy it. So then you end up with these extra copies of files on your desktop and you're not sure if that's the only copy or if that was just a leftover copy and it's just all sorts of anarchy ensue. So this new way of working with just tabs in one window for me is way more efficient. Yeah. I tell you, I've been enjoying, but still getting used to in some respects, support for multiple displays, because right now talking to you, I'm, I'm running multiple displays on my Mac and I've got, you know, kind of our main window and show notes and reference material on my main display. And then on my secondary display, I've got our Skype window and our call recorder and our piezo and that kind of stuff. And I'm staring at, two menu bars and that's a little freaky but isn't that more convenient yeah i think it is i think it is what's what's weird is the menu bar on one page says pages and the menu bar on the other page says skype and uh boy am i glad i have bartender installed because you get all those little menu extras and loaded on both both menus yeah and uh so yeah i've been experimenting with two screens too lately using my imac as a secondary display Really? Now tell me how that works because I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, with a Thunderbolt with a with a Thunderbolt equipped iMac. This this iMac is one of the first Thunderbolt iMacs. Um and a Thunderbolt laptop, you can connect them and then you hit the magic incantation which I want to say is function F2. Okay. On the source Mac, I don't I don't have it in front of me. I'm not right now I'm actually just working on the iMac itself, but you do that and then suddenly the laptop uh, the iMac becomes a second screen and it works just like a wow. Thunderbolt display. That's very cool. Yeah. Now does that work, you know, with all model my Macs or was it just a couple of models that did that? I think from the very first iMac that has a Thunderbolt input on it, it will work. That's very cool. I should, I should look into this now. Yeah. Thunderbolt. I don't want to say Thunderbolt iMac second display. Well, it's exciting listening to people search the internet during podcasts. While you're talking about that, I actually had an opportunity. And this was something that I, I didn't even think about, that it wouldn't have worked earlier. And I was just so thankful that it did. But I was presenting down at Milo Fest last week, which was awesome, by the way. And shame on all you attorneys who use Macs in your office who didn't come to Milo Fest. I, I didn't for the longest time. And it was amazing. David, you've got to get down there. But I was using, a, we used an Apple TV because we're not animals. We're not going to plug VGA cords into our machines. I mean, please. 
Yeah. So we used an Apple TV to do our presentations. And I like to have my presenter notes and be able to see what the next slide is coming out because I don't have a lot of text on my slides. So sometimes I use the presenter notes as, as cues to, oh, yeah, this yeah. is this is what I meant when I put that image of a stick up there or, you know, yeah. whatever it was. And, um, and so now that you can – so I, what I did is I set up mirroring from my Mac to the Apple TV – but I didn't really want mirroring. I wanted extended desktop mode so that I could have my presenter notes on my Mac. And it just worked. And it didn't occur to me until as I was given the presentation at some point, wow, this wouldn't have worked a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. So in addition to uh, giving real support for multiple monitors, they also allowed you to extend that to an Apple TV. Yeah. And that was and- that was huge. Yeah, I, I I still can't get over that we went like two years without real, you know, dual screen support on Mac OS X. I think it was longer than that, but it was just it was just ridiculous. But I think it's fixed now. Yeah, well, I think it's well they they came up with a solution that seems to work. Um, like you, we've got the uh, Apple TV at the office, and I've been using it in the same method, and it's working great. And it's Command F two to turn an iMac into a second screen. Perfect. So you want to talk about tags. I have a lot. Well, I'm not using tags, but I have a lot to say about them. All right. Are do you, you want to do a sponsor? Tags? Do you want to do a sponsor first or? Because <laughs> can... I have a lot to say about tags. You have a lot to say about that. Well, let, let's, let's talk about the few other things I have in the finder before we get to tags and, and then we'll do our sponsor and then get to tags. Will that work? Okay. Okay. So a couple of other things that I like about the finder is you can now export directly to PDF within the Finder menu. Yeah. Thank you for that tip. Well, you know, it's it's a menu item. I'd like to think that people at Apple got tired of, of the question, how do you do this by keyboard combination? They said, heck with it, just put it in the menu. Yeah, but what I was referring to is, didn't you update your screencast to... Yeah. To say, hey, this is... So I've, I've actually created a keyboard shortcut so that I think Command-Shift-P is print to PDF in most cases yeah. for me. Well, ex- the actual command is export to PDF semicolon, which is option. I'm sorry. Export to PDF ellipsis, ellipsis which is typed in by um, control semicolon. You know what? It'll work if you put three dots. Oh, will it? They it changed, used to not. It used to not. They changed that a couple of versions of the OS ago. Okay. Well, there you have it. Yeah. So now it's a, uh, it's shift command P for me. Yeah. But, um, um, and then a, a couple of other little things. Thank goodness. You can now restore the library folder in your user folder. And the way that you do that is a little tricky, but you have to be clicking on your user folder. So you, your user folder has to be the active window in the finder. And then you go to in the finder, you choose view and then options. And then a little box will appear that says show library. Click done. I wonder how many complaints they got about that. I don't know, but I turned it on like within 30 seconds of loading Mavericks. I was like, oh, thank goodness. Here we go. I remember um, Macworld did an article in the prior version where you couldn't easily display it. And they had like, you know, 15 different ways to turn it back on, (laughs) to turn back your library back on. Yeah. All right. So before we get into the whole tags thing, which which may end up to be quite a debate, I'm not sure yet. uh, Let's talk about our next sponsor for this episode. And that is Transporter by Connected Data. 
And they've got a brand new product called the Transporter Sync. So we've talked about the file transporter for a while and the fact that with Transporter, you can automatically sync files between all of your digital devices securely by when what the Transporter does is it creates your own private cloud. So you can store all of your documents on your Transporter, a device that you own. You're not uploading documents to somebody else's cloud service. Uh, you don't have to worry about what their terms of condition and service are. You don't have to worry about where they're hosted. And you now have the ability to access all of those documents using their version 2.0 software, which is now in public beta and available to everybody, um, on any of your uh, uh, computers that you want to access this software from, from your centralized transporter. They also released a brand new version of their iOS software, which allows you to access your documents from iOS. Brand new in their iOS software, which I am calling the Katie Floyd feature, is the feature to upload documents directly from, or photos directly from your camera roll to your transporter, which comes in real handy if you're taking photos on vacation and are looking a way to back them up back to your cloud. And the transporters talk to each other. So all of this private sharing is going on. You can um, now just with a simple right click, you can choose to share documents out to people who don't have transporters. If they do have transporters, that's that's even better because the, the document sharing will be faster and they'll host with each other. And the storage is virtually unlimited because you can buy a transporter um, with a couple of terabytes of or with a you know, a couple of terabytes of storage directly from transporter. But now with transporter sync, it's plug and play. So what you do is you buy the ninety nine dollar. I want to call it a box, but it's not a box. Spherical globe, glowy Hockey thingamajig. Puck. It's beautiful. Uh, you so you buy the ninety nine dollar transporter sync product, and you plug whatever you want into it. So if you've got a spare two and a half inch drive lying around that's got five hundred gigs on it, plug that in. Boom, you've got five hundred gigs of your own personal cloud storage. If you've got a three terabyte desktop hard drive. Plug that in, boom, you've got three gigab or three, excuse me, three terabytes now of desktop hard drive space. Plug in whatever you want, and it works just like a regular transporter. You can access your files anywhere. Your data is always protected because it's yours, and you can share it with all of your devices and both transporter owners and non-transporter owners with no recurring fees. Just buy your transporter, and optionally, if you buy the transporter sync, add your own storage. It's absolutely amazing. Like if you had like all of your videos and pictures on one of these drives connected to one of these transporter syncs for a hundred bucks, you, you connect it to the drive and then anywhere in the world on your iOS device or your Mac or whatever, you just pull it down. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. So you can, you can pick up the transporter sync from filetransporter.com for only 99 bucks. If you want to get a transporter that has some storage, those start at 500 gigabytes for $199, a terabyte for 249 or two terabytes for 349. So thank you to transporter for being a continuing sponsor of Mac power users. Congratulations on your launch of the new transporter sync and the new software. And I am just so excited. The developers and the designers and all of the folks over at, at Connected Data are just awesome, wicked, smart people, and I'm so excited to see where they're taking this product. And bonus, there's a sandwich video. Yeah. Boom. I, I'm i just like building this transporter network. It's all, my own personal network of transporter with the uh, backups. I'm really enjoying it. Okay. You're like the Borg. 
You're just... I, I really like the idea of having data that I control in multiple places. It, it feels really good when you're working really hard on a project to know it's in multiple places. But anyway, we're going on and on. Yeah. Um, let's tags. talk about tags. Tags. Uh, and, and are you finder. using them? Yes, I okay. am. How, how I, are you using them? Give me give I, me some I, examples. I'm playing with them. I, I I immediately started using them in the beta. I, you know, I, the tags. You know, there's. We've talked about tags quite a bit on the show over the years. We had a Mac whole Cal show on tagging and nerds, and we're going to have another show on tagging. Where oh, uh, Brett Terpstra is coming back. He's our oh, okay. Drink. He's our he's our tag guru, and he's going to be coming back to enlighten us on how he's doing it and how he's automating it. But. You know, the, the, the dig I've always had against tags in the Mac operating system was that it was never something that Apple really developed themselves. It was always something that people bolted on. So the way people were doing tags before Mavericks was they'd go and spotlight comments and they'd write words in there, which isn't really what that was designed to do. It wasn't designed to be a tagging system. Like if you put spaces in, those were two different words. It wasn't a single tag. It just never really worked. And then... There was the open meta tagging project. There were different, like, soft, very smart people that were coming up with, like, different tagging systems to try and make something. But I always felt like if I spent time on those systems and Apple decided to throw a bit somewhere that broke it in the future release, all that time would be lost and I'd have no organization. So I've always been very leery of tags. Well, now Apple has, you know, come down from the mountain and said there shall be tags and we are integrating it into the operating system. And now they've done it. So how did they do it? They took the labels that we had before. Remember the labels where you could turn a file green or blue or whatever. Don't talk to me about the labels. Okay. Well, I want to hear what you have to say about that. Cause I know it seems like you have a lot of like very barely hidden rage over this, but the but tags have replaced those labels. In fact, if you look at the colors of the tags, they exactly match those prior label colors, uh, but they do much more and you can apply multiple ones. So let's say that you've got a sales proposal for your boss. You could tag it for like work and you can tag it for a certain client name and you can tag it as a sales proposal, like a, as a form. And then you'd see three little dots next to it. And then you can go in the finder and say, show me all the sales proposal forms. And you, t- you, you click on that tag and then any sales proposal form that in the past you have tagged with that tag will show up. So you'll see like maybe 30 of them from various proposals you've made. And then you've got kind of a, a form bank in essence, or you say, Show me all the documents that have been tagged for client X and it'll show you all the documents. And maybe some of them are keynote presentations and some of them are pages documents and, and, you know, image files, anything that you can find in the finder can get one of these tags. So it allows you to sort items by multiple criteria without a hierarchical filing system. And uh, it gives you a quicker way to find your stuff. And, and so now Apple has blessed it and incorporated it into the operating system. And I am genuinely interested in seeing how I can incorporate this into what I do. All right. I, I am interested in the idea of tags. I don't, I'm, I'm not a huge tagger. I'm, I'm more of a, I'm, I'm much more of a folder person. And we talked about that on our file naming and, or no, it wasn't our file name. It was our, it was our tagging and. It was a show where we talked about tagging versus kind of are you a hunter or gatherer type show. Gosh, we've yeah. done so many shows. It's been such a long time. Um, yeah. I can't even I can't even wow. remember them. Ugh. Is that despair in your voice, Katie? It is. It's just like, oh, we talked about this like three years ago. And here we are well, talking about it again. Well, you know what? In three years, if everything goes right, we'll be talking about it again. Yeah, we definitely will. 
Um, but so tags, the thing that intrigues me perhaps most about tags is it seems to be the only way that I can tell to really integrate a, a way to search and find iCloud and local documents all in one place. Because one of the things that has always frustrated me is I like storing documents in iCloud for certain purposes, but I've never really liked how they were segregated on my Mac. I mean, try explaining that to a normal person. In fact, I have. I've tried every month, it seems, that this is a topic at my Mac user group. And they say, where are my files in iCloud? Because... It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense where your iCloud files are. That, well, if it's a Pages document, then you have to go to Pages and go to the open menu and then click on the little iCloud button and then you'll see all your Pages document. If it's a preview document, then you have to go to preview and do the same thing. Or if it's a text ed document, then you got to do that and you got to do that. It's just not intuitive and it doesn't make sense. But I, my understand, I, I, my, my, what I've seen is that if you tag something and they all have the same tag, that when you search for the tag, they'll all come up together. Absolutely. Yeah. I think the real promise of this would be the tagging to cycle over to iOS. So imagine that, you know, using my hypothetical earlier, you're on your iPad and say there's some type of iCloud app for iOS that says it doesn't have a hierarchical file structure that, you know, we've been, we'd, we'd kind of expect, but instead it's just a list of all your tags. And you click on the client tag and all the client documents show up all the iCloud client documents show up. And then from there you could tap one and it'll jump into pages or keynote or whatever files you have associated with those. Yeah. So there's definitely going to be in some work in the back back end. If you, if you really want to use tags to go back and, and tag all your legacy files, um, I, I'm not sure it's going, it, it's going to get difficult to manage when you get into mass numbers of tags. I mean, let's say you had a tag for every client. Yeah, this isn't, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't have the the support for 200 clients. I mean, I think it, you're right. It becomes unmanageable at some point. But for a lot of people, uh, a limited tagging system will be enough. Right. And then we talked about labels a little bit. And really, labels are gone. Um, um, tags are, are the new labels. So... That's that's what you're doing now. Label tags are backwards compatible. I understand with labels. So if you've my, you know, I was really concerned about how is this going to work with my Hazel rules. Well, number one, because that was where I used I used I used tag. Uh, excuse me, I used a labeling quite a bit for Hazel rules. So I would set it set it red and it would do this, and set it green and it would do this, and set it yellow and it would ignore it or you know something yeah. like that. Um, so I use la- uh, labels quite a bit for Hazel. Hazel now has a feature where you can read tags. And my understanding is that if you take a folder that is, you, you know, you can also set your tags as red, green, blue, orange, yellow. In fact, I yeah. think that's what they come as by default. So if you tag a file red in Mavericks and then were to give it to somebody who was running a non-Mavericks machine, that file would showed up, show up as, as labeled red. And, and let's think about that for a minute. What if you had a Hazel rule that said any file where the contents say Wiley Coyote gets the Coyote client tag? Yeah, you could do that. So and so Hazel has been updated and it can apply Mavericks tags now. Um, I, I haven't really worked this all out for me. It's probably not robust enough for me to just abandon folders. And I'm, I don't think my hierarchical folders are going anywhere anytime soon. And that may just be an effect of my age. Having grown up with hierarchical folders, I'm very comfortable with them. But um, I think Apple is really trying to point people at using tags and 
um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if some future release of iOS eight, you know, uh, gave us the ability to see that tagging data over on our iPads and iPhones. And at that point it becomes really interesting. Anything else to say about tags? Even, you know, yeah, I would just, you know, even if you don't have the, if you have, <laughs> I heard uh, that. of course you would. No, sorry. Well, even if you, you've got so many clients or so many categories of tags that it's not practical to use tags, um, just using it for your active you know, items like right. if there's something you're working on now and you want to tag those, I, I I think it's got some utility. I'm I'm very, I'm curious. We're going to have Brett on, and I know that he's really into tagging, so I'm curious to see what he thinks about it. And and one other thing I'd add is applying tags. They've made easy. There's several ways you can do it with drag and drop, and they've done it with when you get in the save dialog box. The second yeah, bar. How, how, how many times have you typed the name of your document in the tag bar? You know, I've, I read that Syracuse wrote about that in his review, that he kept making a mistake and trying to type the name in in the tag bar. I've never done that once. I don't know. The top line is the name. The second line is the tag. It wasn't that hard for me to figure that out. Boy, that sounds... Wasn't that hard? No. Well, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I don't I do, I don't really I do know what that. you mean. I know what you mean. It wasn't a problem for me, is all I'm saying. But, you know, I, I'm pretty computer savvy, and I'm sure there are people out there that will get confused by that. Um, but either way, I, I don't think I'm going to poo-poo these tags. I think they, they may have some use, and uh, I haven't exactly figured it out yet, but I haven't given up on it either. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's promising. I, I really want to hear what Brett has to say. Because yeah. I put so much more stock in what he has to say than what you have to say on this yeah. topic. No, <laughs> that's pretty clear. That's pretty <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to another topic that's near and dear to my heart. There's a new app in Mavericks that I really love. I love it. Yeah. Um, my know, children's college fund loves it. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, so what I'm talking about is there, there's an iBooks app now on the Mac. It's always made me crazy that people can buy an iBook on iTunes on their Mac, but they can't read it on their Mac. Yeah. And I get, you know, cause I sell iBooks and I get emails often from people saying, Hey, I bought your book and I can't read it on my Mac. What's going on? <laughs> and I'm like, well, yeah. Apple doesn't have a book reader, so you'll have to read it on your iPad. I'm very sorry. <laughs> and, uh, and now they have one. And so that's great. You know, I remember when we saw the WWDC keynote and we got our first close-up look at the dock and we saw that little orange icon. I just thought, "Oh my gosh, David's going to David's going to flip if that's what we think it is." Yeah, I had a pretty good idea that's what it was. Yeah. So, um so iBooks on on the Mac will will read both iBooks and you can also pull in any EPUBs that you have and any PDFs. I would I would assume that they only work with non-encrypted EPUBs and PDFs that aren't in proprietary formats. Um or I guess EPUB by definition is not proprietary, but as long as it's not encrypted anyway. But the PDFs, for example, open in preview. They don't open within iBooks. Yeah. So that's a that's a, a weird little thing. But uh, so David, how does it look? How, how does paperless and markdown and 60 tips and the unnamed book that shall not be spoken of quite yet. How, how does it look in iBooks for they, Mac? They look great, Katie. I mean, so my books are all iBooks author book. They're media rich. They have videos and interactive elements inside of them. I, I They're more like apps than their books, I think. But they open great. All of the interactive stuff works great. It looks good on the screen. You know, for the kind of stuff I do, there's a lot of 
tips in there about how to use your Mac. So it's kind of nice being able to read it on the Mac and then immediately try one of the tricks you just watched the video on because you're already at the platform. So uh, it works great. It looks good. Uh, there's a couple things about it I like better than the iBooks for the iPad version. One oh. of them is the beloved back button. Yeah, because I, I you actually added that as a last minute. I remember to your to your ebook was an instructional video on how to read this ebook because it was a little confusing. Yeah, well, I mean, it, generally everything works as you'd expect, but in the iBooks platform on the iPad, when you tap an internal link. Like if I'm in chapter two and I say, oh, you should really go. I wrote more about this in chapter seven and you tap that button. It jumps to chapter seven to where I'm pointing you with a bookmark, but there's no way to get back to chapter two after you're done reading. You have to navigate back, which makes people crazy. Um, and the iBooks on the Mac, they've now got a when you when you do an internal link and you jump across, there's a little thing in the lower left corner that says, hey, go back to chapter two. You just tap that and it takes you right back. And I, I suspect that's probably coming on the iPad, too. But but it's great to see it on the Mac. Yeah, so that's, a, you, that's a little niggly point, but it's it's really a big deal for people who are reading these books. Yeah. So it, it probably for the types of books that you do would be would be difficult Um but do you think we'll be able to read your types of books on the iPhone? Um, well, we don't have a reader for it yet. Right. I would assume that at some point they will. And the books I do are, are formatted two ways. One is the lands, landscape view, which is the one where it's all custom laid out and the typography set. It's kind of the way I want people to read it, where I have absolute control over how it looks. And then the, the portrait mode, when you turn it into portrait mode on an iPad, it it removes a lot of the formatting and just gives you a nice long list of the text with the rich media elements in the left left column and you can just tap on one to bring it up. I mean, that would work on an iPhone. Yeah. And and just to, to clarify, we do have a reader for for iPhone, but we, we can't read fancy books. I mean I can yeah. I can read the copy of um let's see, what can I say that you won't make fun of me for? Um The Help was a book that I bought from from iTunes. And um, I can read that, but I, I can't read any Max Sparky books on, yeah. on my iPhone. Yeah. So maybe in the future they'll bring that in. I'm just happy it's on the Mac. So I, I, I'm very happy that they have it. I think it's a good app. Have you used it at all? Have you tried to look at any of my books on it? I have. In fact, that was the first thing I did is I pulled up uh, Paperless and iBooks. Yeah. It looks and, pretty good. And there you are just yammering away. And the, and the full screen, <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I do. Uh, but the full screen mode looks pretty nice too. And you can adjust if you pull the width across, it'll actually put your notes on the column. If you, if you do inline notes, I mean, it's, it, I can see it being a nice thing for education too. Yeah. I'm very excited about that. And and I think it will bring, and, and you may have found this already. I hope you have that it will bring iBooks to more people because I've, I've wanted, you know, I've, I've had several of your field guide actually that I've, I've gifted to my, you know, I've, I've gifted to my mom. I've given her an iTunes gift card and says, this is specifically what this is for here. Let me go download these for you. Um, but she, you know, she's, she's done some of them on the, on the iPad, but it's a little bit complicated. And I think she, especially for the 60 tips, just have a much better time with it on the Mac. Yeah. And, and for some people it's, it's much bigger. Which yeah. Is nice. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for gifting my book to your mother. <laughs> Do you say, Mom, this is that guy I keep telling you about that's crazy? She she likes your, uh, I, I should not say this. I gave her your paperless book when she decided to go paperless, and she picked yeah. your naming convention over mine. 
That's awesome. That's horrible. All right. Horrible. Because I guess you, you appeared to have more credibility than I did at the time. That's okay. Because Brett Terpstra has way more credibility than I do in your eyes. Cause, cause I'm, I'm sitting, I'm sitting here teaching her, hand holding her, giving her the scanner. And she's like, Oh, but he wrote the book and he said I should name my files this oh, way. But isn't the, that the way with, it always is with, with the people closest to you? They with, never listen to with you. With the dash instead of a dot. I'm going to do it that way. I was just like, Oh, jeez. Give me my scan. You're, scans you're really back. angry about that dot, Katie Floyd. I like the dot. It's the dash I don't like. Yeah. Give, give me okay. my scan stuff. All right. Um, maps. Oh, talk about something else I don't like. Well, let's hear it. All right. I have not, not had good experience with Apple Maps. And I will admit that I don't use it all the time because I would say definitely in excess of 30% of the time I have used it, it has given me bad directions. I mean, bad directions. And and it's, it's I don't know if it's because I don't live in a super, um, you know, I, I live in the suburbs. I don't live in a real populated area. But I was driving down to Milo Fest, you know, in Orlando, and I, I knew pretty much where I was going. I was going to a resort on in Epcot. And from the point in time that I went to get off the turnpike in Florida to, to go down to Disney, my, you know, probably eight-year-old in-car GPS, not in-car, but, you know, one of those suction cup to the dashboard type things, Uh um, car GPS navigation systems that I have not updated the maps on in years was giving me directions exactly where I needed to go. And I am pulling in to the convention center. I can see it in front of me. And maps is saying, make a U-turn, make a U-turn, make a U-turn. I mean, it was just sending me, it was sending me 20 miles in the wrong direction. I'm interested. Was this, uh, so this was done in the maps application in Maverick. Well, it's or was st- this done in maps on your iPhone? It's st- both. It started in Mavericks. And, um, so I, I did this a couple of times cause I was down there in Orlando and I was like, okay, well from this hotel where I am, you know, how, how do I get to this restaurant or how do I get to this place? So it was easier for me to search for places in Mavericks and I wanted to try it out cause I knew we'd be talking about this, you know, so I'd pull up Mavericks and I'd tell it where I was cause I know GPS location isn't perfect when you're, when you're using it on your Mac, it's, you know, it's doing Wi-Fi and that kind of stuff. So I'd tell it where I was and then I'd say, okay, well, well, how do I get to that Chili's that's, you know, a couple of miles away. And so I'd click the little share button and I'd say, okay, share this map and send it to my, to my iPhone. And that seemed to work well. It sent it to my iPhone. I got a push notification on my iPhone saying, Hey, here's your map. So I just tap on it and it goes to maps and gives you directions. Yeah. I stick it in my pocket, but here's the thing. It didn't give me turn by turn directions. It didn't give me verbal directions. It gave me page one. Okay. When you get to that turn, hit the arrow. Okay. When you get to that turn, hit the arrow. And I don't know. I don't know if I'm I'm using it wrong, but I tried it multiple times, and it did the same thing. I would hope that when I what I the expect the behavior that I would expect is that when I get in my car and press start, that you know t- the typical iOS navigation directions would start up, and it would tell me, okay, you've got a, a turn coming up in in point two miles, make a right or or do that, and it it never did. The directions that it gave me on the map were. You know, from your current location, you know, drive 0.2 miles, then take a right. And and then I'd have to hit the next arrow to get to the next set of directions. See, I'm just running it right now because I, I don't have that experience. I, I've used it several times. Um, I am in Southern California, which I think is pretty heavily mapped. And, you know, it's not rural at all. 
So I, I've been getting really good directions with it. Um, when I'm going to go somewhere that I'm not familiar with, if I'm at my Mac, I just find the location and I hit the sharing button and I send it to my iPhone and it, I get an immediate notification and I tap it on my phone and I'm, I'm good to go. It's been very uh, seamless for me. Well, maybe um, that was my problem because I was actually sending the driving directions to my map. And because, you know, in Apple Maps, you can say, OK, well, show me something on the map or show me how to get from this location to that location. So on on Apple Maps, I was saying, show me how to get from my hotel to this location because I wanted to see, oh, am I going to have to get on the turnpike? Am I going to get in, get on the interstate? You know, what's what's involved, even though it's only three miles away. And so when I told it to send to send to the iPhone. That's what it sent me. Maybe maybe if I had done it a different way and said, just send me this location, it would have been different. Because then I found that if I stopped, clicked on the location, reopened it in Apple Maps, then I would have the ability within within Maps on the iPhone to, to tell it to start navigating. Well, I'm not sure because I just did the same thing, too. I just said, send, give me a map from my my home to a certain location. And it, it sent me the directions and I turned it on and it was starting driving directions. So. That's very well, play with it some more. Play with I it will. some more. If anybody knows but, what's causing that, let me know. I, I don't think Apple is uh, at the level of Google Maps at all. I'm not sure they ever will be. I mean, Google has this crazy Street View thing, which is, that, that's really useful, I think. And I don't see Apple hiring a fleet of vans to drive around every street in the nation and map it with pictures. Uh, but. I think the thing I like about maps is the fact that Apple is swinging, you know, I agree. At least they're swinging and, and there's a couple things going on at Apple right now that I feel that way about. We're going to do more content later or more shows later about the new iWork and how we're using it and what we think of them, because, you know, this would be a five hour show if we covered everything that's new right now. But, uh, the fact that they're trying to do cloud uh, integration and cloud collaboration, even if it's not perfect yet, I think the only way they're going to get better is to start doing it. So I'm glad they're doing it. As an aside, the outline for this whole show was written in pages on Katie's computer, and I've been working on the outline through the Safari browser. So they're swinging. Are you there, Katie? Because you're really yeah. quiet. Right yeah, now. no, I'm sorry. I was actually just updating the the outline. I didn't want everybody to hear my, my keyboard clicks. Okay. So. Um, so anyway, uh, maps isn't at Google level, but the sharing feature is really convenient. And if it works like it's been working for me, I, I think I'm going to be using it quite a bit more. Yeah. Don't get lost. Okay. Let's talk about a sponsor again, and then get into another big topic of this new, uh, Mavericks update. Probably the focus of it is this energy saving, which is another topic. I have a few things to say about. Okay. Um, uh, um, so let's talk about Daisy Disk, which right. is our uh, our sponsor. You know, uh, Daisy Disk is gives you a different way to look at the data on your hard drive. You know, everybody's got hidden gigabytes on their hard drive, and you don't realize how quickly it gathers. Uh, but Daisy Disk shows you it has these concentric circles that give you an image with nice colors and graphic representations of various areas of your hard drive. So when you've got an SSD and suddenly you're getting the warning that you're out of space, when it seems like you just cleaned it a few weeks ago, Daisy just flies in and goes to the rescue and it shows you, Hey, guess what? You've got, you know, 20 gigs of movies in here. And you're like, well, how did that happen? And you know, if you have a shared Mac, maybe somebody put more movies on it, or maybe you accidentally downloaded a bunch of stuff you bought from iTunes without thinking. And it gives you a very quick way to clear that space out and get back to work. 
it's a it's a ritual for me because I, I as I keep saying I I should probably stop whining but the computer that I record this podcast on has limited space and we all use it and my daughter is in video production so needless to say once in a while I'll start a podcast and not realize it that I have no space left so now I always open Daisy Disc before the show starts and clean off space um, it does it with panache it looks really great. Um, it's really the, the tool of choice for a lot of people in terms of managing the data on their drive. It's 10 bucks in the Mac app store. That's all it costs to get a great, beautiful way to manage your storage. Um, in addition to seeing it, you can also delete the stuff and manage it that way. So it's just a really great application. I'm using it all the time and, uh, go check it out in the Mac app store and, uh, and also they have the other app that I mentioned earlier on Clutter, which is another great app by the same developer that allows me to manage storage of files as I'm moving around on my computer. So thanks, Daisy Disk, for supporting the show and go check it out. Thank you. All right. Let's talk about energy savings. And I have I've been kind of jealous of all of these new Haswell Macs. Do you, are you running one? You probably are. No, I'm not. I'm still... So I've got the MacBook Air, the generation that came out just before they put these new Haswell chips in it. And so I get reasonable battery life with my MacBook Air, probably real world, you know, uh, screen full blast and and actually doing work and running running my thing. I probably get four to five hours on my MacBook Air, which which candidly is, is plenty. And I could get more if I if I actively took measures to save the battery. But running the way that I run a run, I, I probably get four to five hours on my MacBook Air. And it's about 18 months old now. And um, I am already seeing um, energy savings with Mavericks because I was running it off the battery quite a bit this past week while I was away. And I realized I'd gone back to the hotel and was was working on the outline for the show and was doing a couple of other things and and realized that all of a sudden it was, you know, 11 o'clock and I'd been back at the hotel since about six and I hadn't plugged my Mac in and I still had some time left on the battery. Yeah. So you want to talk a little bit about the underlying technologies that they put in to to save you so much time? Yeah. Yeah, we, we definitely should. And and we, we, we aren't going to get super geeky with this. We'll, we'll try to do it big picture. Um, Syracuse gets pretty geeky when you, when you read his review, which yeah. I, I strongly suggest everybody do that. It, it took me about two hours t- between, you know, doing this and doing other things to, to read the review. And yeah, so John Syracuse, who has been a prior guest of the show, does this legendary review of every new version of the Mac operating system. And it's the only one I ever read because it's just, it's like the source. And, and John actually attends WWDC, the worldwide developer conference to get the skinny on exactly what's going on. And, and the, I, I've cribbed a bunch of information from that review to talk about in this section of our show. So there, there's a couple things that happen when your Mac is running. There's all these various processes that happen and these are measured in milliseconds. I mean, it's, you know, your computer is constantly doing things. And the computer is built to ramp up power as it's needed to do these tasks and to bring power down when it doesn't. But this is happening so fast and so often that the power is always ramping up and ramping down over and over again. And as John kind of displays with an image in his review, they're combining these together in blocks so the computer can fire up, do a bunch of these little tasks, and then bring the power back down to zero or very close to zero while it's waiting for the next block or grouping of them. And I guess, is this what, I guess they call it um, 
timer coalescing. It's a, right. it's a way of putting things together. Uh, the, the bottom line is the net effect is the computer's hot and running much less than it was the old way. So that's well, the first thing they did. And, and he calls it, I think, in that review, the race to sleep, which which means your computer is constantly, you know, in, in, and again, by I, I, we measure this in terms of milliseconds, ramping up to do something and then ramping back down so it can go idle, ramping up, ramping back down, ramping up, ramping back down. And if you if you graph that out, that the amount of time that it takes to ramp up and ramp down is a fair amount of time when you're doing it for multiple tasks. So the idea is to take all of these tasks and squish them together and combine them and to do as many tasks as you can in the same millisecond versus doing one in this millisecond, one in that millisecond, one in another millisecond, and do all the same tasks together so that you have a shared ramp up and ramp down time so that you have more downtime on either side of, of completing those tasks. And again, measured in milliseconds, but over the, the long haul, it makes a difference. Yeah. And another thing it does, it pays attention to what's in the front of the screen. For instance, if you've got an application that is displaying data, like, you know, some type of animation, and suddenly you put a window in front of it, in Mavericks, it's going to say, hey, the user can't see what I'm doing right now. It can't see my animation. So instead of refreshing it 30 or 60 times per second or whatever it's going to be, it drops down to much, much lower because it realizes there's no point in animating something that nobody can actually see. And that is another way that they, uh, you know, it's much less stressful on the processor, which means it draws much less power. Um, You know, this is all stuff that really makes... uh, you know, it's such, you know, nitpicky little things, but it adds up and, and we're seeing real world improvements of, you know, like 20 to 30% in your battery with just these little things that it's also doing an interesting thing with Ram, um, you know, the random access memory we talked about in the getting ready for Maverick show, how you should upgrade the Ram in your computer. Cause that's like the cheapest, easiest way to improve performance. Um, but you know, you have a limit on your Ram and, and, Frankly, Apple computers usually have a pretty a skinny amount of RAM when you buy them. I mean, they still sell machines, I believe, with four gigabytes, which seems pretty low. And what happens on your computer is when it runs out of RAM, it starts putting things that would it would usually keep in RAM on your hard drive. And whether you have an SSD or a spinning drive, it's it takes a lot longer to access that that data off that drive than it would if it was in the system RAM. Not only does it take longer, it requires a lot more power. Like if it's a, if it's a hard disk, it's going to have to spin up the drive. But even if it's an SSD, it's still going to take power to, to run the processor to go find the data and pull it in. Whereas if it was just resident in RAM, it would work better. So what they've done is they're compressing RAM. So they're looking at your application. And let's say your application takes, um, let's say, 10K of RAM. Just be, you know, there's no applications that take that little anymore, but just to make it simple, because I'm a lawyer, I'm not an accountant, I need to keep the number simple. Let's say it takes 10K of RAM, but of that, you know, five of that K is information that it doesn't need right away, and it compresses it down, just like what we used to do with hard drives. Remember when they used to compress drives where you'd get more storage out of it? Data doubler. Yeah, something like that. So it'll it'll take five of that. K and it'll squeeze it down to 1K. So now it's only taking 6K 
of of your block of RAM, and the other 4K is free for other things. And Mavericks is really smart about this, and it's really stingy about taking memory off of you, out of your RAM. I mean, it's going to be it's going to compress the heck out of that stuff before it starts spinning your memory into the hard drive or the SSD. And the result is it's number one, faster. And number two, it takes a lot less power. It's kind of ingenious when you think about it. Yeah, it, it so is. So in effect, your four gigabytes feels more like six gigabytes, which is, which is pretty great. So they do a couple of other things to, to try to figure out when, I don't know. Can, can you hear the frogs in the background? I swear that's not me. They're they're really going crazy tonight. I have a I have a pond in back behind my house. But anyway, sorry about that. If you can hear them, um, the other thing that they do is Mavericks tries to schedule tasks so that the tasks fire when we make sense. And we talked about that partly with timer coalescing, but. Also, certain tasks happen at certain times, and they, you know, they they build in these developer these API for the developers to say, okay, well, what is based on what is the priority of your task? Should it be allowed to run when the machine is on battery power in order to try to conserve energy, or should it require the screen to be in sleep mode before the task happens, or should it require that the battery at least be at a minimum level, or should it at least be required that the drive be spinning? So it's kind of like all of these are how important is this task, and when should I fire? this task so yeah it feels like they've taken a lot of the memory and battery optimization tools that they've developed in the the phones and the ipads and found an equivalent on the mac yeah i um they the tenth the other thing that they've also done is they've they've done it in addition to giving the developers these tools they've also kind of shamed the developers a little bit if you don't take advantage of some of these tools because first off, um, Activity Monitor is now going to show you in a separate column and a separate view apps that are using a lot of energy. And the battery icon in Mavericks, and I didn't see this originally because I have a, a different battery icon because I use iStat menus, but the, the default battery icon in, in Mavericks will show you when you click on it what apps are using a lot of energy right now. And so the the idea from Apple being is that if if people keep seeing that the same number of apps are, are use or the same app over and over and over again is constantly reporting in as using a high amount of energy, they're probably going to start pestering that developer. Yeah, the I think they call it memory hogs. Right, right. So if you're if you're developing an app and suddenly you're getting all these emails with screenshots, you're going to have to do something. Yeah. So it's 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 quite remarkable. I I see a, a, an improvement. I didn't measure before I installed the Mavericks, and because I went through the beta process, it's been so long. I I can't imagine um what the change is but reliably online i'm seeing people report between 20 and 30 percent improvements between the final version of mountain line they were using and the first version of mavericks yeah so if you've got a, a computer like let's say you've got one of the new haswell macbook airs uh you know you're getting an extra couple hours of battery life out of it just because of the operating system's more efficient that's a lot of time well, and also Apple gets to report higher battery life numbers because all these new machines are being shipped with Mavericks. Yeah. So all of us who are coming from older systems, we're going to see improvement, but then Apple gets to also report higher numbers with new systems too. Yeah. So um, let, let's kind of keeping with the system a little bit. Let's let's talk about some changes in system preferences. Some are good. Some are bad. 
That's one I of think. my favorite things to do when we get a new operating system is just know, go through too. all the system preference windows and see what's different. So the first thing you can notice off the bat is the icons are bigger. So yeah, that didn't bother me one way or the other. One of the frustrations that I noticed right off the bat, and I, I don't particularly like it because of my use case, but I, but it is overall a good thing, is that um, internet accounts is a new option. This was previously mail contacts and calendars. And this is where you put your username and login information for all of your accounts, like all of your Twitter accounts, your Facebook account, your um, LinkedIn is now new that goes there, and all of your email accounts. So if you have a couple of Gmail accounts or if you have an IMAP account, account or whatever, those all go in there. And all of a sudden, I started noticing on other Macs, like on my office computer, all of a sudden, I had my Mac Power users and my at Katie Floyd Twitter accounts. And I had my personal email and I had my Mac Power users email was coming in at my office. I'm going, wait a minute, what's going on here? And that's because that information now seems to all sync from machines, whether you want it to or not. Hey, you know, I kind of liked it as a convenience, but I don't have a system at work sitting on a desk where cleaning people are and I'm not all the time. Yeah. But I mean, you're so right. is, is, is there a way to turn that off? You can disable the accounts, i.e. so that they don't show up in mail and, and, um, and things like that. I don't think there's a way to disable the Twitter account without actually deleting it, but you can disable the mail account so it doesn't show up in the mail and, you know, disable the calendar accounts. But no, now I have my personal Twitter and the Mac Power users Twitter. You can, and you can disable notifications for those items. But, but those things are now, um, oh, in fact, I just realized we never talked about notifications, so we need to go back and do that. But those things are now in, um, those, those things are all now on my work computer. And if I deleted them there, then all of a sudden it was deleting them on my main computer. I'm going, wait, 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 that's not what I wanted. That would make sense to put like in the iCloud settings, you know, like a checkbox to uh, share account information on this computer or not. There's a keychain, but I believe that's not the that's the keychain we were talking about earlier. Yeah. So hmm. that was weird. Uh, good. Yeah. I think it's overall the good thing for most people, but it was it was a little weird for me. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, parental controls. You can disable eyesight camera. That's kind of interesting. I'm sure there's a story behind that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, one of my favorite features, and I love it on the iPhone, and I've got to tell you, I love it on the Mac too. Software update now automatically updates the apps. Yeah, I, I love it as a parent and husband because all the other people in my life never run it. And whenever I sit at their device and I see that they've got, you know, 72 updates pending, it just makes me nuts. Yeah, I, I installed Mavericks on my mother's machine this week, and I, yep, check the box, done. Well, some people are complaining or, or worried that, you know, an app developer is going to make an update that's going to take away features or somehow, you know, make the app less capable. And they want the power to say yay or nay. And you can turn it off if that's if that's your concern. But I, I've always been I'm fearless about that stuff. Just give me the, the current version and I'll deal with it. Yeah, I kind of feel the way the same way you do. But if something catastrophic happens, that's what backups are for. Yeah. Um, okay. So in the preferences in the dictation window, they've added some nice effects here. One of them is the offline dictation option. Um, you know, dictation came, I believe, in Mountain Lion, yeah. and where if you if you double tap the function key, you can start dictating to your Mac, and it will 
transcribe it for you much like Siri, but it was dependent on the internet. It would go up to uh, the new, it's, it is the nuance servers, by the way, Apple has never confirmed it, but I have absolute confirmation from experience. You want me to tell you that story really quick? I think we need to hear it. Okay. So nuance cannot spell Macworld right. Yes. You know, yeah. every time you dictate into di- dragon dictate, you say Macworld, it capitalizes the W. And if you're sending into an email to someone like Jason Snell and you have the W capitalized, he like comes to your house and, you know, beats you with a, you know, with a piece of rebar. So you always got to make sure you fix that. And I was just noticing today I was dictating on my Mac and it came back Macworld with a capital W. The nuance mistake shows up. So you know who you sent that to? Did I send it to you? You sent it to me. Yeah, exactly. And I, and, and I saw that. And the first thing I thought was, oh, my gosh. And then I thought, oh, he dictated that. Yeah, exactly. So so that's the problem. And it shows up exactly in Siri and uh, on the dictation Mac. So, uh, you know, uh, nobody has ever admitted anything, but it's pretty clear that Nuance is doing this. Well. But anyway, so the problem was it would go up to the cloud and then come back. But this is a Mac and it's really powerful. And on an iPhone or an iPad, I understand why they need to send it up there because they don't have the processing power on board to do that dictation for you. But the Mac is perfectly capable. David, this is a desktop class architecture for the a7 chip yeah okay well anyway uh the mac is a desktop computer so (laughs) so they've added a checkbox and it downloads a a big file that's got the voice resources in it and then now when you double tap the function key you can dictate to your heart's desire there's no break it just it just types it as you talk see this is what makes me think that offline dictation is coming to the iphone i mean my gosh why isn't it because when you when you click the button in in system preferences to enable the offline dictation, it, it initiates a download. I think it's about a 750 megabyte download, something like that. And yeah. you know, you know what it's doing is it's downloading the database in the library. I don't think the data, the, the data file is the problem. I think the problem is the processing power to, to Desktop maintain class that. architecture. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe. No, maybe so, no, I think, A8. I think, I think you may be able to see it um, in, in future versions of, oh, of iOS. Which, you know because what? because we're moving to these desktop class architecture A7 chips, uh, you know, are people going to be willing to give up almost a gig of space? I don't know. I would be. I, I, would, I be. would, without question. Uh, but, you know, the one thing on Android that I think just kicks butt over iOS is when you dictate on Android, the words appear as you dictate them. Have you and, confirmed whether or not Android auto caps the W in Macworld? Uh, no, because I haven't spent much time with an Android device. But every time my friend shows up with this Android phone, I always pr- try the dictation and it's, it's superior. The immediate feedback of seeing the words show up on the screen as you say them makes it so much better. And a problem. And of course there's the additional problem with Siri when you dictate for 30 seconds and it just decides it's not going to give you anything. I'm sorry, but I'm not available right now. And you feel like a complete moron because you just <laughs> dictated for 30 seconds. Right. Uh, but so Hopefully they'll get that on the iOS and I don't want to talk about that today, but now you get this on your Mac. So if you, if you did the local transcription, double tap the function key and you start talking, the words start showing up. And even if you don't have a fancy microphone, it works pretty good. I mean, I've got the original retina MacBook pro and I know they had some tweaks to the microphones in that because that's when this dictation stuff first started. And, but it works really good even without a microphone. So I find myself all the time dictating little bits and because it's native to the operating system anywhere you can put the text box, whether it's a search bar or an email or whatever, you can just double tap the function key and start talking and you'll be surprised how well it works. So long as you dictate better than I talk on this podcast. 
you know, I slur my words together. I sound like I'm drunk on this show half the time. But if you actually try to dictate, it'll sound good. And it, it works pretty good. Uh, so I got a bunch of emails from people saying, okay, Dave, compare it to Dragon. And I'll tell you that there's no comparison. Dragon is better. You know, you're going to pay 200 bucks for Dragon. Dragon can crawl your whole library of doc. Like I throw a bunch of documents and word files and stuff at it. And it goes through and it finds words that I'm always typing. And it, it puts those in automatically that this doesn't do that. Um, I think in general, Dragon does a better job, but this is free and it's part of the operating system. Cool. I, I've been, I, I enjoy the new dictation and I, I hope it comes to iOS. So are you using it much? When I think about it, it's one of those things that I often forget. Oh yeah, this is here. Yeah. I use it all the time on my iPhone and then I think I am sitting at my Mac. Why am I dictating on my iPhone? Yeah. It, it no, takes a while to remember. I think it's a step in the right direction. So we'll see. Well, we skipped over. So let's go back and talk about notifications a little bit since we're still in system preferences. And I really like the new ability in Mavericks to reply to notifications because I noticed today when I was messaging back and forth with you, I usually keep um, iMessage open on my Mac at home just in case somebody sends me an iMessage, but I did not have iMessage open on my Mac at work and boom, your your message popped up and the other thing that happened is it says, do you want to reply? And I, of course, said no. Of course. Yeah. I can always tell when I'm writing to someone and they're replying on their Mac because their, their responses are much longer. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But I like that. Now, you you couple of couple of cool things about notifications and a couple of things you have to be careful of. Um, first, that notifications can now be seen when the display is locked, which is nice because I can lock my display and com- come back and say, oh, great, I've got 14 new email messages and, and deal with them accordingly. But you need to be careful if you're not in a controlled environment because by default, it will show previews of your notifications. And you may not want to do that with things like Twitter messages, iMessages messages, iMessages messages, that's probably not the right word, um, or email. Because you, you know, if your screen is locked, you don't want people to be able to read the, the content or get the gist of what those messages are. And the uh, 100% less linen. It's just a nice gray <laughs> it is. background. Uh and some of this stuff existed before, but the ability, you know, the immediately ability to send a message, to send a tweet, Facebook, LinkedIn, they've got those. Yeah, LinkedIn's li- new, but yeah. Yeah. That's nice. Yeah, it is. The thing that I like more than anything is the do not disturb options. And I had to previously remember, okay, anytime I'm connected to a projector, I need to go in and, and click this box, do not disturb. But now there's a do not disturb option that says, hey, anytime I'm connected to a projector, do not disturb. Yeah, that's a great that's a great addition. I don't know. How, how does it know that I'm connected to a projector or a TV versus an external display? I'm not sure because they, because right now the same connector. Yeah, yeah, maybe it's smart. It's smart enough to know, but but right now I, it's got to be smart enough to know. Right now I'm connected to an external Thunderbolt display and and do not disturb is off. But yet when I connected to the Apple TV or when I connected to a projector, it figured it out. So yeah. smart. Another pro tip: if you hit Option and click on Notification Center, that or the little icon that's up in the corner, it will turn on Do Not Disturb. Just like that. Just like Getting that. ready to start a presentation, option, click. 
It's done. But I also took this opportunity when I was in there configuring things. I've removed a lot of apps from Notification Center. I I use those little pop-up windows from time to time. I like to see certain things come in and pop up and just say, okay, cool, that's done. But I realize that I've... Do you often open up Notification Center to see what's going on? I would find that it was just just flooded with four days old email messages and things like that, that I just never really cared about. Well, one thing I don't like is the amount of work it takes to shut something down out of notification center. Yeah. But what do you use notification center for? I mean, I, I like the messages and the pop-up windows for certain things, but do you actually view anything in notification center? Yeah, my calendar all the time, you know, it's right yeah. there. You just take two fingers and slide right on your trackpad or your magic trackpad your calendar for the days at the top of the screen. See, I use Fantastical for that. So Yeah. But that's that's a good idea. Um I I primarily use it for backup notifications because I like to that's the only thing I really keep in there is I keep a couple days worth of backup notifications. I like to see if my backup is okay. But you know what I think I'm gonna add the calendar now that you mentioned that. All right. Well, I think we've got time for one more sponsor and then we can wrap up talking about um, some of the new apps. Yeah, there's there's several. (laughs) They they redid several. Yeah. So I want to talk about our last sponsor for this episode, and that is 1Password. And you know that 1Password came out with version 4 for the Mac a couple of weeks ago, and I have just absolutely been loving it. And one of my favorite features of 1Password version 4 is a feature called Security Audit. And we've always talked about the importance of creating unique, strong, secure passwords for all of your sites. And then, David, you tell us your story about how when the time changes, which is getting ready to happen, everybody, or it probably happened as you're listening to this, depending on where you are in the world, um, you go through and you have a, a smart folder or a list full of um, a specific passwords to your mission-critical things like your Dropbox and your bank and things that are high security that you go through and you rotate and you change every six months, right? Right. Okay. The DEFCON list, as I recall. Is it still called that? You bet. All right. So you've got If the- you enjoyed war games, you would, uh, <laughs> you would appreciate that. Or in your password to everything is pencil. In the DEFCON Always. list. Always. Pencil one. Pencil one, two, three, four. Pencil, yeah. yeah. So, um, so you were, in a sense, doing your own form of security audit. But now 1Password will take a lot of that guesswork out of you. So when you launch 1Password, there's now a new section over in the sidebar that says security audit. And what it does is it will show you um, where you've used the same password for multiple sites so that you can go through and change those. It will show you where you've used weak passwords for sites so you can go through and change those. Here's a here's a hint. Usually where you've used the weak passwords is where you've used the same passwords because it's probably a password you've created yourself. So it kind of gives you a checklist of, of, hey, these are passwords you haven't changed for a while. Hey, these are pretty weak passwords. Hey, warning, warning, these are these are these are all the same passwords. So you really need to change these. And it will it will at a glance show you all these things in one password. You can say, well, only show me passwords that Passwords that I haven't changed in the last year, passwords I haven't changed in the last month, whatever you want your criteria to be. And so I was going through security audit the other day, and I, I have a few more things in there than I would like. But what I found is mainly the things in security audit were services that I had long since abandoned. So even if I'm going to abandon a service and just completely, before I delete it out of one password, 
I still like to go ahead and change my password because even if it's a, a service that I've abandoned, I've probably used an insecure password on that service and on other services, and I want to change it before I abandon it because if that site now gets compromised, I don't want my password to be compromised, even though it was an old insecure one I'm probably not using anymore. Yeah, so, I was going to say, why would you do that if you're not using the password anymore? Yeah, but it's it may be a password that I've got on multiple other sites that I've abandoned, and I just don't know what's out there. Okay. Yeah. So I was going through and I saw that I had uh, a YouPromise account. I don't know if you remember that, but it was like this this college savings things where you would let them scan your card at the grocery store. And what they were really doing is tracking all the stuff that you were buying so they could advertise to you. But it was like, oh, well, you'll you'll get, you know, three cents for every $50 that you spend at the grocery store or something like that. And we'll add it to this college account for you. And I don't know. It was something that I did years and years and years ago when I was in college. And, you know, nothing ever became of it. And I said, oh, I wonder if this this place is still around. So I logged in. My YouPromise account worked, and, and it was in one password. And I had $56 in there, you know, over the years of scanning these cards and, <laughs> and going to this program. And so I went in to change my password, and I did that. And then I said, it said, you have $56. Would you like to request a check? That's a lot of ham, Katie. <laughs> and I said, yes, please. And two weeks later, this check appeared in my mailbox. So here's a pro tip. Maybe maybe you should go check out all those sites that you've abandoned. You might have money sitting in there. So Excellent. that's my story about how security audit not only saved me from password stupidity, but also made me $56. Yeah, but if you, if you really want to be scared, go in there and look at your three-plus-year-old passwords. Oh, yeah. And uh, and take a look through it. Like, I, I was looking through there as you were talking about buying ham. And I realized there's a couple in here that aren't on my list of things I need to change every time the clocks change, and I'm going to have to fix that. Yeah. There you go. Okay. One password. Great company, and uh, they're not going anywhere. I think we're going to be using them for a while. Yeah. So let's let's talk about the, the new app, so specifically iCloud, or iCal. Yeah. What do you think of the, the – I mean, they, basically, they took all the leather and, and uh, fancy – skeuomorphic design out of these applications flattened them. I think it looks so much better. I'm, I'm very pleased with the appearance of iCal. Some people would say that it's a little too simplified. But Seems kind of boring to me. Yeah, yeah, it does. I don't use iCal. Oh, gosh. In fact, I call it iCal. So that should tell you how often I don't use it. I don't use calendar as, as my primary calendar. I've talked about how I use BusyCal. Although I did switch back over to it for a couple of days in preparation for the show. I will tell you that I still found it buggy with Exchange, um, which is why I'll go back to BusyCal for, for using it. But um, I was getting still the same kind of issues that I was getting before with Exchange, and that was disappointing, where when somebody else in the office would send somebody who's not me an invitation, it would pop up in my calendar app Yeah, as a notification. No, I don't need to know that kind of stuff. But you um, know, I've got this theory about these apps is, you know, they, they went and completely redesigned iOS seven and depending on who you talk to between, you know, five and eight months. And, and that must've been a monumental project. And at the same time, they said, we've got to get some of this crazy stuff like that torn paper and calendar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that was one of the reasons why I, I completely embraced busy Cal. It's not the reason I really stayed with it, but I mean, just, it was so it was so weird having the torn paper on my digital calendar that I couldn't even look at it. 
Um, but so, th- so they took a bunch of that stuff out, but it looks to me like they took it apart, but they didn't really rebuild anything. It looks very stock to me now. Yeah. So um, what about, I'm like, you. what about feature wise? Some of the new features of, of calendar app um, is the new, well, you've got the new inspector, so it's easier now to edit things, which I appreciate, but the big change was location. So they've tied calendar to Apple maps and, um, you can now specify, which I try to do, is I try to specify a location or an address in some of my places, and supposedly it will figure out the travel time. I have not had this work when I've tried it. You know, if I well, put an address and it, it, I go to the travel time drop-down menu, and it will say it's figuring, it's figuring, it's figuring, and then it never does. Okay, so there's two pieces of that. The first is, if you're going to meet somewhere, you start typing in the name of the place, and the calendar application will look for that location. And in my testing, it worked pretty good. Um, if you say, you know, Katie, let's meet at Panera Bread, and I start typing right. in. Do you guys have Panera Bread on your we side? Do. Of the, we do have okay. Panera. Yeah. So if I start typing in Panera, it will it'll find the one closest to me. I don't like Panera Bread. I don't have to put an address at all. I just write the word Panera Bread, and it'll find the one that's closest to wherever I'm at. And then, and there'll be a list of two or three more under that, and I can click on one, and it automatically inserts the address of the location, which to me is is really great. You know, especially if it's someplace I haven't been before. And then, um, did it automatically fill in the travel time for you? Then, when you're you're setting an alarm for the event, uh, you can say you know one minute, fifteen minutes. Or travel time, and it'll calculate the travel time. Now, it wasn't consistent for me in that regard. Like, if I would do that from home, it would always assume I was traveling from home, even though I might be traveling from work. Um, I did play with it, though. I, I put in an appointment to go to work, and I put the work address in and the travel time, and then I had an appointment at Panera Bread after that, and it, it calculated from work. So then it thought, okay, you're going to be at work at that point because that's the last appointment you drove to. Um, the, the the real problem I have with the travel time thing, which I think is kind of great, and you know, your, so your phone could give you notifications when it's time to leave. Um, but that's kind of a big assumption: is how long is it going to take to get there? Like for instance, if if I'm going to a place that's five minutes away from where I'm at, I typically leave like 15 minutes early because I I just hate to, you know, tell somebody I'm going to meet them and not be there at the moment that we're supposed to start talking. And I, I, I'm just kind of anal that way. And I have these eye thingies in my pocket or in my briefcase or whatever. So it's not like I'm going to li- lose that 10 minutes. If I get there and I'm 10 minutes early, I can sit and answer email or figure out my OmniFocus tasks for the rest of the day, or I'll do something. Um, so the travel time thing isn't that useful for me because I don't, I don't want to get there at the moment I'm supposed to be there. I want to get there a little early. So I'll just manually pick 15 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever it's going to take. Yeah, I'm I'm glad it's working for you. I, I tried it a couple of times with a with a local restaurant here where I was having lunch today. And I tried searching. Now, it wasn't a chain restaurant, so maybe that was part of the issue. It was a mom and pop place. I tried searching by name, and then it couldn't find it. So then I just tried typing in the address. And it, it, yeah, I just typed in the address, but it, nothing seemed to pop up. So right, I'm going to, I'm going to try one more, one more right now. There's a restaurant in Orange County that if you're ever in Orange County, it's called Break of Dawn. It's like the best breakfast I think I've ever had. Okay. Break of Dawn, but it's a weird name. And, um, uh, it's grinding on it right now. 
And there it is, Break of Dawn, Laguna Hills. Yeah, it worked. Hmm. So that's just a little mom and pop place. Uh, once again, maybe, you know, this goes back to the map discussion. Maybe I live in a place that has better map coverage from Apple than where you live. Yeah, that could I be. I thought you were pretty close to Disney World. Am I wrong? No, I'm about two hours. Two, well, no, okay. closer to three. Okay. All right, so let's 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 talk about um, so calendar. The other big thing is there's now a new holiday calendar, and now Facebook events is integrated. So, Whoopee. man, yeah. I, I'm using the heck out of that. I figured you were. I fig- in fact, yeah. I sent you an invite to my Facebook party, and you didn't come. Did you see the thing that Stephen Hawking did? No. He he threw a party for tri- time travelers, but he didn't announce it until after it happened. <laughs> and they may show up. He he's not saying. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I love that. Apple love Mail. That. Okay. Um, Apple Mail. I didn't find a lot of changes to Apple Mail other than all of my Gmail accounts went wonky. I know you have some thoughts on that. I guess. I mean, I wrote an article about it as we record this. I I had published an article about it today. And so Gmail, I mean, they... Maybe my article was too extreme, but my point was, you know what? If you've got Gmail, you probably shouldn't be using Apple Mail anyway, because all the stuff that makes Gmail really great doesn't work in Apple Mail. I mean, labels and uh, like inbox filtering. I mean, they're very, it's very much a round um, peg in a square hole. But then people have written me saying, well, that's true, but I don't use those extra features and I really like having it in Apple Mail. And you know what? Apple probably should support that. But so, so I guess we're getting, we're jumping ahead. And Gmail, you know, the way Gmail works, it's not IMAP, it's not POP, it's kind of something Google. And there was a way to kind of make it work in the past. Now it's, it's recopying all your mail and just causing all sorts of havoc if you try and access your Gmail account in Apple Mail. Well, and I will tell you that. I did not do all of those steps with my Mac Power Users account, which we host with Gmail, to yeah. hide the all mail f- folder. I just didn't do that. And um and I was still having problems with Gmail initially in Apple Mail. And it was churning and churning and churning and and I am still having the problem where Things that I archive or things that I, I can't tell what feedback, right? Sorry if I haven't responded to you. Um, I'm have, it, it's random in that certain feedback that we receive will, um, will automatically show, you know, I'll respond to it, I'll archive it, and it will show back up in the feedback folder. And I think that's a label issue, but it's still. Yeah. Um, if you're a Gmail user, um, Mavericks has got a significant problem. If you want to use Gmail and Apple Mail together. Uh, I, I think the real solution is if you're a big Gmail user is use it in the web or get like mail plane or something like mail plane. That's really built around Gmail. Yeah. I just, I, I hope Apple fixes it because yeah. it, at least making it what it was before. Yeah. You'd think it, right? it was, it was at least manageable the way that it was I, before. And I'm just, be- I'm just shocked that this got through the betas. Yeah. But you know, mail was pretty rough through some of the betas. Uh, but we should talk. The good things is they they have more conditions for smart mailboxes, so you can do more filtering with your smart mailboxes now. Um, the they've got more search tokens like document type and attachments. Uh, th- there's some nice pieces to it as well. But you know, working, I I think I just keep coming back to this, and maybe it's because I'm not a regular Gmail user. 
Although I just, I recently spent like two months using almost Gmail exclusively because I wanted to get better at it. And there's a lot of stuff I really like about it, but I'm not a regular Gmail user. So it just in my mind, it's easy to say, well, you should use a Gmail client or, or, or Google's preferred method, the web. The problem with that though, is if you've got different email accounts, it means you have to go to two different places to manage your email. All right. Anything else with Gmail or Google or Apple mail or anybody else that we need to talk about today? No. Well, you know, just in, in closing on all of Mavericks, uh, you know, should you upgrade right now? What do you think? Um, I talked about this a little bit on the Mac Roundtable. In fact, I we should plug this. We recorded an episode of the Mac Roundtable last week. And um, I I did. I upgraded all of my machines. I upgraded my mother's machine. I upgraded all the machines that I manage. And I haven't really had any problems. The biggest problem I've had is is the Gmail issue and Apple Mail. Uh, Piezo is a little wonky, but it still works. I mean, I just haven't had any show-stopping problems. And even knowing the Gmail problems issues that I'm having, I, I still would have upgraded. So overall, I think it's a good upgrade. I think it's a stable upgrade. But I go back, you know, we did an hour and a half show on upgrading to Mavericks, and I just would refer people to that advice, is that if you use your Mac to make money, and if you have any mission-critical apps on your Mac, that your life is really going to be miserable if those don't work, then you need to stop and check and confirm compatibility before you do. Yeah. Uh, and if you do upgrade, I think there's some real nice improvements. I, I mean, like the battery life improvement is pretty major. I think the dictation thing is really great. I mean, there, there's some nice stuff in here. Yeah. So I had put a, an entry in the outline called where next and, you know, just doing a little bit of navel gazing and going back to my statement earlier about how I think there was a big race at Apple to get iOS seven built, you know, the whole new user interface. And my guess is that the people were so busy working on iOS seven, which is frankly where Apple makes most of its money that they really didn't put a lot of time into the look of Mavericks. And I think that's reflected by, you know, the calendar app and, and the contacts app. I mean, they, they did get rid of the, you know, rich Corinthian leather, but they didn't do a lot of um, improvement to the interface. And I can't help but think that, you know, maybe next year we get some pretty significant changes in the way the Mac OS 10 looks. How long do you think? You think the next one? You think a year from now? Yeah, I mean, now that they've kind of got over this crush to get iOS 7 developed, don't you think that they're going to try and get a little flatter and a little bit more like iOS? I think they'll get there. I don't think it's going to be all in one jump, though. Yeah, I think we may see some... I, I think it may look quite a bit different next year. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, it has been a marathon episode longer than I thought it would be, so we probably should take this opportunity to close it out. Uh, we do want to thank all of our sponsors for this episode, 1Password, the Omni Group, Daisy Disk, and Transporter uh, for their continued support of the show. As always, you can find links to everything that we talked about in this episode on our website at MacPowerUsers.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU162. You can also email us. We're feedback at MacPowerUsers.com or find us on Twitter. We're at MacPowerUsers. Katie's at Katie Floyd and I'm at Max Barkey. Mm -hmm. And uh, we will see you all next time. Mm -hmm.